0: names are all about identity, and today we'll see a city try to make a name for itself before scattering in confusion. Thanks for joining The Bible Brief. Sometimes the Bible gives us tastes of future events before those events come to pass. It can be as detailed as names and dates of future people, and it can be as general as the rise and fall of kingdoms. But as we look at the Bible, it has an inescapable forward thrust to it. We're always looking forward to the next thing because we're told to expect it and anticipate it. We may know what's going to happen, but we're caught in the tension of not knowing exactly how or exactly when it will occur. A good example of this is something we've seen from the beginning. The promise of the seed of the woman who will come to defeat evil. Promises are nothing if not forward-looking. They tell us what to search for in the narrative and what to look for as the story unfolds. But they also leave us with questions. When will this ultimate seed of the woman come to defeat evil? Who, after all, is this seed? And why hasn't he come yet? And in our last episode, we layered on more expectation with the blessings and curses of Noah. We had even more questions. How will this curse on Canaan and the blessings on Shem and Japheth actually play out? Canaan will be a slave to others, but what does that mean? How is God going to particularly be present in the line of Shem? And what, after all... Does this have to do with the seed of the woman? That's the tension that we're left with as readers of the Bible. We're always having to shift our framework to encompass new promises and new forward-looking statements. The Bible, as it turns out, causes movement in the reader as the text is read. As God works through the Bible, He's doing something in each of us. He's challenging our notions of our own personal goodness. He's making us ask, what would we do if we were tempted by the serpent in the garden? He's making us consider if we would have been on the ark or if we would have perished in the flood. But most of all, despite those personal applications, he's wrapping us into this incredible story of promises. A story of promises that perhaps has less to do with us and more to do with God. Promises that depend solely on God himself to fulfill. That no human power could hope to accomplish but that god with his infinite power will accomplish no matter what promises that almost always leave us with the same question how how will god accomplish these promises on the earth how will god bring this seed into ultimate conflict with satan the serpent how will this war between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed continue to be fought And how does all of this fit into the idea that God is going to be honored among a narrower group of people, the Shemites, who Noah had blessed? Well, after the blessings and curses of Noah, we begin to see the plot thicken as God divides the nations from one another. But before that, there's a note in the text that we can't skip over. This note places Noah squarely in the same path that all his ancestors before him were on. At the very end of Genesis, chapter 9, we read this. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Noah, that man who built the ark that God used to save a remnant of humanity, he dies. He suffers the same death that has been reigning over mankind ever since the garden. And soon after his death... The world, the new mankind, unified and industrious, begins its greatest task yet. They are going to build the city of cities, the center of ingenuity and culture, the place where mankind makes its mark on the world. The place where, in its pride, mankind says to God, We don't need you. We're fine on our own. Let's read how this happens from Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Since Noah's generation, the post-flood people began to migrate eastward into modern Iraq, to a place with plentiful water and a fertile plain. Now remember what we said about that eastward direction here at the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden to the east. Cain was cast further east upon his murder of Abel. And now the people are going east again, Here in the beginning of Genesis, there's a subtle theme we shouldn't miss. Eastward is the direction away from God's presence. So these eastward traveling people find this apparently perfect place to found a new society, a new world order, so to speak, and they begin to take matters into their own hands. They say to each other, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Note the insistence here that their building efforts will gain them something that they think they need. A new name. A name for ourselves. A new identity. A human-constructed, rather than God-given, identity. A given name, after all, represents that you have an authority over you. A name for yourself? Well, that means you control your own destiny. With no authority, you don't need to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as God commanded. No, you can build a city so that you won't fill the earth. With your own name, you can just defy the command. And maybe all that sounds great until we find out the name they actually did make for themselves. But first, God's reaction. Funny enough, while they intended to build a tower with its top in the heavens, as if reaching up to be equivalent to God... God is described in a way to show that they weren't even close to their goal. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city in the tower, which the children of man had built. God had to come down to see this structure that mankind had built. Reaching into the heavens is not something that mankind can actually accomplish. These people had confused the height of their tower with significance. But God had to come down to see this apparent accomplishment. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be inaccessible to them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. After seeing the tower, the text says that the Lord again goes down to do something else. He goes down to confuse their language, to essentially slow and inhibit humanity's technological and engineering prowess. This desire for a city and a tower to make a name for themselves, if left unchecked, would lead to disastrous consequences for the humans. They might think that they actually could make a name for themselves, And so God confuses their speech into many different languages so that they'll abandon their pursuit and actually begin to fulfill God's command to fill the earth rather than be gathered into one place. And here at the end of this short narrative, we actually get to see the name that the people made. Not a name they wanted, but a name fitting the place and the purpose. It says, Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The name of their city would forever be called Babel, meaning Confusion. A confused people confusedly build a tower that they think could reach up to God through their disobedience and make a name for themselves. The only name that they made was less a name than a description for the whole ordeal. Confusion. And yet, in another language of the ancient Near East, we end up seeing this desire for the tower endure, a desire that will be manifested over and over again in the Bible. While in ancient Hebrew, Babel means confusion, in ancient Akkadian, Babylon means gate of the gods. Babylon will be back in the Bible story, as people won't give up on this quest for equivalence with God. That same quest that Eve had in the garden, to be like God, knowing good and evil. This confused quest for goodness, wisdom, and identity apart from God isn't going well for humanity. You see, one of the ironies of the Babel account is this. God had already made a name. He had expressed that the hope of humanity wasn't in a city. It was in a seed. A seed of Eve, who would also be a seed of Shem, the eldest son of Noah. And you know what? If we translate both of those, we see an even fuller picture. A seed of life and a seed of name. Join us next time as we meet one of the most important people in the whole Bible. A man whose name means exalted father, who despite his name, remains childless. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.